Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning for a little while about the importance of passing our faith to the next generation. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. This is a message for each and every person in this room, listening online, and those that will listen in the future. We need to understand that it is our responsibility to pass the faith from one generation to another. I remember this, hearing the story of a family who had a, a vase that was an heirloom. It had been passed down from generation to generation for dozens and dozens of years. One day, the parents of that family left and left the two teenagers at home. When they came back, the teenagers were really, really sad. They met up at the door and they said, Mom and Dad, you know that vase we passed down to generation to generation? They said, yes, we know about it. They said, well, this generation broke it. So we need to make sure we're not this generation. Amen? That we pass on to our uh, children, grandchildren, those around us, the power of the Word of God and the message of Jesus Christ. You know, I can remember as a boy, I had a great-grandpa who lived to be 103. He told me stories of being a pioneer in northwestern Oklahoma. I remember those stories clearly and vividly. I now tell them to my grandkids, and they love to hear them. My dad told the same stories to my kids. They love to hear them. It passed from generation to generation. But every generation doesn't have something good to pass on. Sometimes there's something we need to stop and say, this is not moving forward. Can you say amen? My great-grandpa on the other side of my family was a circuit-riding Methodist preacher in northwest Oklahoma. But none of his kids continued to follow the Lord. The reason why? Because they saw what happened at home didn't match to what he said in public. He was abusive to his family, extremely abusive. And his kids come to think, if this is what God is like, we want no part of God. It's very important that we understand our role and our responsibility in passing the faith from generation to generation. Listen, it's more than dragging your kids to church, although you should do that. Children don't have a choice. We're going to go to church. You're going to come with us. Somebody say amen. Doesn't matter how much they yell, scream, and holler. Bring them and let them be exposed to the presence of God. But we at the church cannot do what we as parents are supposed to do. We have to be careful that we instill those values and traditions and faith in their hearts and in their life on a regular daily basis. And we have to live the life in front of them in order to pass those truths along. Because they understand what we say in public if it doesn't match what we do in private. It's very important that we understand that concept. So let's look at Psalm 145. I don't have time this morning to read the entirety of the 21 verses, but I would encourage you later today, read Psalm 145 in its entirety. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. And uh, most theologians think that this is one of the psalms that David sang on a regular basis. Maybe when Saul was uh, troubled, David would go in with his harp and begin to sing Psalm 145 and bring peace into his heart and to his life. Maybe when he's at the cave of Adullam, he was a, a fugitive from Saul, a fugitive from his justice. Maybe he began to sing this psalm. Maybe when he was on the way to take bread and cheese to his, his brothers who were fighting the Philistines, he began to sing this song. So when he got there, he understood, my God is great, my God is mighty, and that Philistine is defying him. 
So we begin to sing these psalms. Look at verse 4 with me. That's the one I want to read for you today. The Bible says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They tell stories of what God has done. They use the past to set, to set the stage for the present and to prepare us for the future. Oh, somebody, you need to be telling your children, your grandchildren, everyone around you of the mighty works of God. The testimony that Pastor Chris shared this morning is one that you can share. You can tell them what our God does. You can tell them how he saved you, how he delivered you and set you free. You can tell them, I had a bad record, but when I came to Christ, my record was wiped out and I started with a clean slate. I can't go back and have a new beginning, but I can start today and have a new ending. You need to be telling somebody about what God has done. Now look at Joshua chapter 2 with me, beginning in verse 7, then we'll read verses 8 and 10. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. Verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered, that means when they had all died is what that means, and all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, listen to it, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work he had done for Israel. I'm wondering what's going on when I read this passage of Scripture. Joshua was a great leader. He was ordained by God. He was set in that position to lead Israel into the promised land, the land that God had promised to Father Abraham. He was, he was destined, he was anointed to be that fearless leader who won so many victories. I mean, think about it. He destroyed and defeated the Amicalites. He moved, he moved in a powerful way and believed God and the Jordan River opened and they walked across on dry ground. He even asked God to let the sun stand still for a period of time so they could continue to win a battle that they were fighting and God did that very same thing. Again and again, we see what Joshua experienced from God. He was there and he was alive when the 10 plagues hit Egypt and they were allowed to leave, no longer slaves, but servants of the Most High God. He was there when Moses struck the walk, rock and water came out. He was there when the manna fell from heaven. He was there when God sent flocks of quail for meat to the Israelite. He was one of those who walked 40 years in the wilderness, but his clothes never wore out and his shoes never wore out. He was one of the two when they sent the spies into the promised land, came back with a positive report saying, yes, there are giants, but our God is well able. He had a word of faith in his mouth. He understood the works of God. He witnessed the works of God. He saw the walls of Jericho fall flat on the seventh day. Oh, come on, think about it, friend. What he had experienced writes books about the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the power of God. Yet the word says when he died, and when all those who were his contemporaries died, there arose a generation 
who did not know the Lord, nor the works of the Lord. What happened in that period of time? How did that occur? It seems almost impossible, because do you remember when they crossed the Jordan River? They were given instructions to the priests, take 12 stones out of the river, build a memorial on the bank, build another memorial in the river, and those memorials were to be for generations to come, so that when your children say, what does that mean, you can tell them of the wonderful works of God. Read it, it's in the scripture. It's in the book of Joshua, read the whole thing. See how great he was, how powerful he was, how positive he was. But something happened because the next generation did not know the Lord nor the works of the Lord. If we are going to ensure that the next generation follows the Lord Jesus Christ, those little kids that were over there singing, our teens that are here on Wednesday night, 50, 60, 70 of them, If we're going to ensure that they carry the promise and the power of the gospel in them, we have got to talk about the works of the Lord. We can no longer be silent about the power of our God. It is time for the church to rise up and say, I serve a miracle-working God. I serve a God who is. I serve a God who is able. This is what he's done for me. I've seen him do this. Oh, it's time to talk about the power of God. And importantly as it is, parents, you need to understand your children need to see you pray. And they need to hear you giving answers to those prayers. They need to know that prayer isn't a religious exercise, but it's communication with the throne of God. And when you talk to God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the door of access, who is Jesus Christ, you have his attention. You have his ear. He's listening. And if he's listening, if he hears you, we know that we have what we ask is what the scripture says. It's time to teach them the power of prayer. Let them understand what a powerful, mighty God he is. It's time to sow in them, deep inside of them, the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time to sow, implant it into their heart. It becomes in their DNA, and they will never stray from him. They'll never turn away. They will never find themselves captive to addictions and bondages. It's time for parents to raise up a generation of God-fearing, praying boys and girls and students who know the power of the living God. It's on you and me, folks. It's on you and me. So I was writing these notes, I was thinking about my kids, our kids, Yvonne and I's kids. We had them in church every time the doors were open. They were in all the programs from babies on up. They heard the gospel again and again and again. They all got saved in churches that I was pastoring. They were water baptized by me. But you know when they really had an encounter with God that changed their life? It's when we sent them to youth camp. We're going to send them to kids' camp. By the way, our kids are going to youth camp in July, the first week of July. The cost is $225. You can sponsor them. You can help them get there. I'm going to encourage you to do that. We'll talk about it more as the day grows closer. I can remember my two boys, Chris and Philip, were called to preach at youth camp, filled with the Holy Ghost at youth camp. They're pastoring churches now. They're carrying on them. And can I tell you something? They're going to do far more than I could ever do. They're both better preachers than I am. They're building great churches. They're influencing a community. They're bringing change in the hearts and lives of those around them. 
That's what's supposed to happen. Mindy and, and Philip and David were what I called camp rats. They went to the first camp so they could be campers, but from there on, they stayed the whole summer. They didn't want to come home. They wanted to be at camp. They loved being there. They loved serving, and that's where they learned to be servant leaders. I'll never forget Mindy telling me the story. It's only been a few years ago that she told me this. Isn't it amazing what your kids do that you find out about later? She was at camp all the time. She absolutely loved it. That, at that time, I was in charge of all men's ministries in the state of Kansas. And anytime Mindy, anybody would give Mindy a hard time or ask her to do something she didn't want to do, she would fold her arms, furrow her brow, and say, don't you know I'm Director Dow's daughter? I'm not going to do that. It's an amazing thing. When we watched the experiences they had at camp, I took them on mission trips. From the time they were toddlers until they were out of the house, they went with me every single summer somewhere. Katie was two years old when I took her on her first missions trip. She's very dark complected like I am, jet black hair. And my kids were teasing her saying, Katie, they're not going to let you out of Mexico because you look like a Mexican. They're going to make you stay. It was a joke that went on through the ages with those kids. Still is, as a matter of fact. I remember when I received, I've never told this story publicly. I've only told it to a few people. You'll understand why in just a second. I remember when I received a call from a good friend of mine, a missionary in Eritrea, North Africa. He said, I've raised $100,000, but because of the sanctions of the U.S. against Eritrea, I can't get it into the country by normal means. He said, and as I was thinking about and praying how to get it here, God dropped your name in my spirit. And I said, yeah, he's probably the only guy crazy enough to do this. So he called me. And Jerry told me the story. I need that money here. We're building a Bible school. We're going to train Eritrean pastors to go out and reach their nation for Jesus Christ. It's a Muslim country. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I was telling my oldest son, Chris, who was 18 at the time, a senior in high school. His basketball team had just won the 5A state championship in Kansas. He was riding high. He heard about that trip and he said, Dad, I'm going with you. I said, Chris, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Because there's a high chance that we're going to get locked up and put in prison in Eritrea for the rest of our lives. He said, I'm going with you. I said, is this a want to or is this a God thing? He said, no, Dad, it's God. Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm going with you. I said, all right, I'm not going to argue with God. By the way, let me tell you, anytime you tell me this is what God said to you, I'm not arguing with you. I may think it's the craziest thing I've ever heard in the world. I may know it's not from God, but I'm not arguing that with you. You just live it out and see what happens. If it's of God, it'll come to pass. If it's not, it won't. I will never say I told you so, but I'm not going to argue with you. So I'll never forget when I went down to the bank. The banker was my friend. He attended the church. He had 100000 in cash wired in and $100 bills. It was a stack about this high. We loaded that in two briefcases, covered it in paper, newspaper. I carried one. Chris carried one. We got on the plane. We landed in, in France. If I remember, I'd had a layover about seven or eight hours. I said, Chris... You're tired and I'm tired, but one of us stays awake the whole time. Our eyes are on those briefcases. 
The problem was when we entered Eritrea. Would they find the cash? And if they did, they would take the money and lock us up. So before we landed, I grabbed that boy's hand and we prayed that God would blind the eyes that needed to be blinded, open the eyes that needed to be opened, make a way for us where there seems to be no way. We went through customs. We went through security. They didn't blink an eye. They didn't look at our briefcases. They said, have a nice trip in Eritrea. And today there's a Bible school in Eritrea because somebody said, we're going to do what God's asking us to do. I had to make sure the statute of limitations expired before I told that story. Now, I'll probably never go back to Eritrea. Yvonne and I made a commitment. We're going to take every one of our grandkids. There's nine now. Ten is on the way. Be here in June. Every one of our grandkids on missions trips because of what it does in their spirit, how it directs and changes their lives, how it plants the seeds of the gospel so deeply when they see God moving upon such needy people. Last March, our oldest grandson, Connor, was 15. He went with us to Peru. You know the story, we got stuck in Peru because the country was shut down for COVID. We prayed, we prayed, we had service every day. We exalted and magnified God. We did what we could do, waiting on God to bring the answer. The amazing thing is, we got back home the exact day we were supposed to get back home on our original itinerary because God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Connor was with us. The Sunday morning we came back, I said, Connor, I want you to share a testimony. He stood right down there, tears running down his cheeks, saying, in Peru, God called me to be a missionary doctor. And I'm going to finish my education and get my degrees and my training. And I'm going back maybe to Peru, maybe to somewhere else. But God has called me while I was in. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we will spend the time and the money... To invest in our children, it brings dividends down the road that we may never see. We're going to invest in those kids and those grandkids because we believe our purpose is to pass the power of the gospel from our generation to the generation that's following us. I will not be like Joshua who failed to pass the truth of God's word to the next generation. We'll not do that. Three things I want to share with you very quickly. Actually, three questions, then I'm done. First question is, what happened to the legacy of Joshua's generation? Why does the Scripture record, there came a generation who did not know God nor the works of the Lord? Were they so busy fighting battles, defeating armies, that they didn't have time to invest in their children? I'm getting personal now. Are you so busy making money, building portfolios, making a career, making a reputation that you haven't invested in your children? It's time for people of God to recognize my family is second behind God. My career, my job, my occupation is not there. You look around this morning, you say, where's Pastor Isaiah? You know he has a 17-year-old daughter who's graduating from high school this month. They had an activity last night. He said, can I go? I said, man, Taylor is much more important than you being in a Sunday service. Absolutely go. 
I was raising my kids. I didn't miss a ball game. I didn't miss a concert. I didn't miss a play. I didn't miss anything they were doing because I wanted to invest in their lives and show them they were more important to me than the ministry. More important to me than the church I was pastoring. I can't tell you the number of times I would say on a Sunday, folks, I'm not going to be here Wednesday night because Mindy has a concert or Philip has a play or, or Katie's in a solo or Chris has a ball game. I would move out of that place and into the place where God has called me to be. Could it be they never failed to encourage their children to experience God for themselves? Could it be after the many hard years of war, they dropped their guard because they were tired and became complacent? They were living in cities they didn't build, drinking water from wells they didn't dig, eating from vineyards and fields they did not plant. Did they become complacent? We don't know what happened. But something went horribly wrong with Joshua's generation. And whatever it was, it affected the following generation in a very negative way. It had a crippling effect on them not knowing God, nor the works of God. Christine Kane wrote it this way. A great big God became so small in the eyes of his people that an entire generation could no longer see him. I want to read that one more time. I want it to soak in and settle in. A great big God became so small in the eyes of his people that an entire generation could no longer see him. And if you go on and read the book of Joshua, just a few generations later, you can read it in Joshua 21, verse 5. It says, there was no king in the land, and every man did what was right in his sight. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? It's time to bring back the king, to exalt Jesus, to show our children what a mighty God he is. What happened in Joshua's generation? I don't know. I just know I don't want to do what he did. I don't want to repeat that mistake. I don't want to have a whole list of spiritual accomplishments and battles won and see my kids sliding into the precipice of hell. I want them to know and love a mighty God. Second question, how do we pass the faith to the next generation? How do we pass the faith to the next generation? Number one, by teaching them, by teaching them what he does in us and through us. By teaching them the word of God, the plan of salvation, the power of the gospel. Holy Spirit is here to infill you and empower you. Romans 5, 8, and while we, God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in my Father's house. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Oh, instill the word of God. Instill the promise for today and the hope for the future deep in their hearts and in their lives. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, plans of peace and not evil, to bring an expected end. 
Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, I have redeemed you. I called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. Oh, somebody hear me. Instill it deep in their hearts so they never turn away from a living God. Never turn away. A teacher of the law asked Jesus this question in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. The teacher said, and this was a Pharisee trying to trip him up and tempt him. What is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus responded this way in verses 37 and 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In times of contention with humanity, teach your children to love them through it. Not to hate them, not to become embittered by them, not to turn away from them, but to love them through it. Everybody will not be your friend. Everybody will not be your enemy. There is a middle section there where you've got to just pour the love of God out upon those folks and let them see God working in you and through you. Love them through it. By teaching you and me to love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. it shows us, our children, the world around us that God is in us and God is working through us because he's enabling us to do things we can't do. Do we understand that learning to love God so completely, so entirely, that we do so with every fiber of our heart, our soul, and our mind, do we understand that's not a one-time process? That's a long lifetime process. It's a progression as we continue to move forward and love the Lord. It's from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. We experience him, and he's revealed in us and through us. Think about this. If we are capable of loving God, let me rephrase that. We are only capable of loving God because he first loved us. Without his love for us, we would have no love for him or for anyone else. God's priority, God's work in us is to continually transform our ability, our capacity to love him and to love those around us, to take us to a deeper and a greater level than we have ever been. That's why we never retire from the kingdom of God. You may retire from your job, but you never quit being a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You never stop being a light in a darkened world. You never stop sharing the power of a mighty God. And my goodness, if you've lived 70 or 80 or 90 years and you live for God, you ought to have some things to say, some stories to tell, some encouragement to give. Tom, come back, please. After the resurrection and before he ascended into heaven, Jesus made a statement about our purpose. And our children need to know there's a purpose for their lives. They're there for a reason and for a purpose, and it's ordained and administered by God Most High. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We know that passage as the Great Commission. So the question is, number three, how do we fulfill the Great Commission? Let me say it this way. The Great Commission occurs as we live the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we embody the second commandment, then the great commission is fulfilled because there is something in us that will not allow us to be silent. There is something in us that will not allow us to be silent when wrong is occurring. There's something in us that requires us to step out, to step up, to speak the word of God. We cannot be silent when we understand, I'm going to love God with everything I got, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, and when I do, he's going to send me into a harvest field. He's going to use me to bring men and women to Christ. Let me say it again. The great commission occurs as we live the great commandments. The more the great commandment grows in our lives, the more we love God and we love our neighbors, then the more the great commission grows in our lives. The more we want to invite others to experience what we've experienced. We want to tell others about God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. You see, when we are living the great commandment, there is a love that overflows from us to the downtrodden to the beaten, to the abused, to the outcast. There's a love that flows from us to the banker and the educator and the doctors and the lawyers and every profession. There's a love that flows through us to our children. More than just that parental love that we have, it's the love of God, that agape love for them that causes us to say, I'm gonna plant it deep, I'm gonna plant it firm, I'm gonna trump it in, I'm gonna make sure that at some point the seed of the gospel not only takes root, but springs to life in their lives. The greatest commandment causes us to go in those situations of distress, to go into places of darkness, to risk our lives, to risk our bodies, our health, all for the purpose of taking the gospel to someone who has never heard. Folks, can I tell you, there are those someones right here in Tallahassee, right here in North Florida and South Georgia, there are people who've never heard the gospel of Christ. I'll never forget when I was invited to go preach a rally in Southern Asia, I didn't know what I was getting into. I landed in the capital city. Missionary picked me up and said, we're going to a boat. I said, a boat? Yeah, a boat. We got 18 hours on this boat. Then we're getting a little boat. And we're going another eight hours in the little boat. Then when the little boat docks, we're going to get off and we're going to walk two hours. And we're going to a place where people have never heard the name of Jesus. Folks, I can't tell you about the power that fell in those meetings, 
I can't tell you about the anointing that God released by his Holy Spirit so that those who had never heard, heard for the first time and not only heard, but received and their lives were transformed from that day forward. And a church was planted to disciple them and take them into the presence of God. If we love, then we want. We want to lead others to Jesus. We want to teach them to follow him. And we can't do one without the other. We can't love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, and soul without also loving our neighbor as ourself. The first and the second commandment is how we plant the seeds of the gospel in the generation following us. If you're in this room this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior, but this morning I want to ask Him to forgive my sins, come into my life, and change me. Right where you said, just slip up that hand. I'm going to pray for you. Waiting just a moment. You need Jesus to come into your heart and your life to bring changes in you. Just slip that hand up, Maul. Acknowledge you as a wait just a moment. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Pray this prayer with me, everyone. Those of you who raise your hands, pray this prayer. The Bible says that God has given you a measure of faith, enough faith to believe on Jesus Christ, to ask him as your savior, to let him to forgive your sins. So right where you sat this morning, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, everybody, pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior, and I cannot save myself. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to live in my life. I ask you to be my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. Change my life today. If you prayed that prayer in earnest, then tell someone that I just received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Make a public declaration. And at the first opportunity, get water baptized. Come Wednesday night at 7 o'clock over in the green room through those doors to our New Beginnings class where you're going to get a foundation and be discipled in the Word of God. Take the next step. Become a disciple, not just a convert. Now to everybody in this room, you're here today. And you're going to say with me, it will not be said of me and those who followed me that they did not know the works of the Lord. They did not know my God. I'm going to do everything in my power to plant deeply the seeds of the gospel. So at some point, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next month, maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now, but those seeds are going to come to life. They're going to spring into a vine. It's going to grow into fruit. They're going to be disciples and followers of the Most High God. If that's your pledge today, stand to your feet. If that's you. If you're not willing to say that, keep your seat. If you're willing to say that, stand your feet. Everyone should have the elements of communion in their hand. If not, raise your hand high. Our ushers will get them to you. If you'll hurry very quickly, ushers. There's people all over the building that need communion elements. Get them to them. I think next month we'll be passing these instead of living on Main Street. But for today, the elements of communion. You see, your commitment is based upon what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
He has saved you. He's delivered you. He's healed you. He's poured his Holy Spirit out upon you. Your commitment to pass your faith to the next generation is based on what he has done for you. Everyone received the elements? Anyone still lacking? I don't see any other hands. Hold that wafer up in the air. Take it out of the top of that cup. Hold it up high. The Apostle Paul told us this wafer, the bread, represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. So as you pass the faith along to someone else, tell them what he endured. Tell them what he suffered. Tell them about the 39 stripes put upon his back. Tell them about him being beaten with fists and his beard plucked out. Tell them about the crown of thorns being forcefully shoved into his scalp. Tell them about the cross. Tell them that he was nailed there and he hung there for your sins and for mine. Tell them what he has done. Father, we received this bread this morning remembering what Christ has done for us. Asking that you would speak into hearts and lives today and help people to know and understand it's by the power of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we see victory. This morning we received this bread thanking you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Would you accept it right now? Paul goes on to say, and after supper he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant, sealed by my blood. In other words, what man couldn't do in the law, man now can do because of the blood. We don't have to offer blood sacrifices, it's already been offered. Jesus Christ willingly hung on the cross, willingly shed his blood, willingly looked down through the generations and through the ages to this moment this morning and said, it's for you that I died. It's for you that my blood was shed. If you need something from God this morning, as we take this cup, just ask. And as you ask, you're gonna receive. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, for its power to save, to deliver, to heal. For its power that transcends time and space and passes through generations and circumstances and peoples. For its power that reaches every man, woman, boy, and girl. For its power that makes the cross level ground for each and every one of us. You don't care about the color of our skin. You made us the way we are. What you care about is the condition of our heart. And this blood purifies our heart. Would you receive it in Jesus' name? Sing it out, Tom. Come on. As you're thinking about this, meditate on the fact that God has done a great work in you. And you will not be the generation that is said of Joshua. A generation that arose that did not know the Lord and did not know his works. Come on, sing it with Tom this morning. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7.00. 
plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.